blessing them with the thing, Heavenly Father, you know, they stand in need of according to your will. And we also pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll be a better Christian this year than we were last year. And we also pray, Heavenly Father, we will continue loving each other more and more each day. And we pray a special prayer for Brother Cole Pepper that he's come to deliver us the bread of life. We pray, Heavenly Father, we'll listen. Though words will listen toward eternity. Because they will be eternal matter. He will be delivering unto us. And not only listening hearers of your word, Heavenly Father, but also doers of your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this worship service will be done decent and in order. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And Heavenly Father, when we don't come to the end of our journey, said our last prayer and taken our last breath, we just pray, Heavenly Father, we'll hear those wonderful words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on in, get your mansion, your robe, and your crown. All these blessings we ask in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to place your markers at pages 903 for the Song of Invitation. Pages 903 for the Song of Invitation. And for our next song selection, let us know pages 19 in our select selection song books. <clears throat> Not made with hands. all found that a sing together. <clears throat> Christ went a building to prepare, not made with hands, and till be decked with jewels round, not made with hands. I know, I know, I have another building. I know, I know. It's not made with hand. Put on your armor of your God. Not made with hand. And take the path the captains try. Not me, not me with hand. I know, I know I have another building. I know, I know. It's not me with hand, with chill of fate, defy the foe, not me with hand, until you hear the trumpet blow, not me with hand, I know, I know, I have another building, I know. I know it's not me with hand. Didn't come up, children, get your crown. Not me with hands. When you have laid your burdens down, not me, not me with hands. I know, I know I have another building. I know, 
sorrow and pain will have flown. They will be, have gone by. We have, if you will, what John records as he gave us the revelation text. He observed that there was uh, leaves that were provided by the tree of life. They were meant to be for the healing of the nations. There would be no more sorrow, no more pain, uh, and no more suffering. That's why a song such as that can uh, be sung, because it allows us uh, to remember that uh, once this time side of life is over, there's no more tears in heaven's global. God is there for the healing uh, of the nations. It is good to be here this morning. Amen. God has blessed us to be able to arise up out of our beds of slumber. We've, uh, we've experienced the wonderful rain that God brings. Amen. Uh, he allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. But God certainly knows when the world needs to be replenished with water. Amen. Uh, and so we're so thankful for, uh, for all the, uh, the weather, if you will, uh, events that God allows us to experience. Because that just lets us know that God's still in control. Uh, he provides life, uh, and we're so thankful that he has blessed us to be able to rise up out of our beds of slumber this morning to experience this new day uh, to come out and to be in worship service, uh, that we may have life and that we may have it more uh, abundantly. I want to call your attention very quickly to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we certainly appreciate the song service that was uh, led by Brother Martin this morning and the prayer. Uh, that Brother Joseph worded, and also the reading of the scripture by Brother Arnold. Uh, we just thank God that we can have worship service that is done in spirit and in truth, uh, and according to God's word. And you're, you adding your voices to the, uh, the song service and making it what it should be, uh, this allows for us to sing and to uh, present a sweet-smelling savor uh, unto the Lord as he observes our worship service. But we recall and we know based on what we have read and what we have studied uh, that we are in a spiritual worship. It's not the mortal man that God is concerned with. It is the inner man. It is the spiritual man that God is concerned with. Uh, and it is important for that spiritual man to, uh, to grow uh, and to mature, uh, to become one that, if you will, recognizes the spiritual things of life. Uh, more so than the, uh, the material, carnal things of life. And we've studied that. Uh, we know that that is the case because the material things vanish away. All those things which are temporary will one day be gone, and then that which remains will be that which is eternal. And that which is eternal is that which has come from God. Uh, but the Bible says that the, uh, the, 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 the body goes back to the dust of the earth, Solomon, the wise man, shares with us. But the spirit goes back to God who gave it. Uh, and so we recognize that it is the inner man, the spiritual man, uh, that must grow, uh, that must, if you will, become that which is worthy to enter into heaven's glory. We shared some thoughts about that on last Lord's Day when we were talking uh, about the, the tabernacle. And uh, it is the place where the immortal God engages with the mortal man. Uh, and it is that, uh, that, that spirit of man that is uh, endeavoring to uh, take control of that mortal body, that flesh, uh, so that it may, if you will, uh, be able to uh, present, its, present that body, if you will, 
uh, as God would have it to be presented, as a spiritual sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is, uh, Paul says, your reasonable service in Romans uh, chapter 12. So we, as we look at this text this morning, uh, we find ourselves with Paul sharing a story. Uh, and he's sharing a story that, I, that uh, really brings, if you will, I think, into clarity the significance of the, the inner man versus the outer man or the spiritual man versus the flesh. Uh, for Paul talks about the, uh, the context of maturity. Uh, and when you talk about the context of maturity, you, you, you have to uh, uh, in, uh, incorporate what we've been addressing, uh, which is the idea of self-awareness. We, we, we have to come to the point where we understand who we are and whose we are. Uh, we cannot continue, if you will, in, uh, in ignorance of, of, of who we belong to. A lot of people in the world, if you will, uh, they, they reject God. They reject the ideal of Christ altogether. They reject the concept of spirituality. There are those who, if you will, whether you want to call them agnostics or atheists or whatever they want to describe themselves as, they dismiss the concept of God and they leave themselves, if you will, to themselves. That everything and every desire and every purpose of their life is basically subjective. It is based on what their own free will and that which they choose to do. Last Lord's Day, we spoke about this in the context of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we saw that even the Lord, even the Lord himself, that is the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as Paul would describe him to Timothy, even he understood that it was, if you will, factual that he had his own free will. Yet, if it were his desire to make it to heaven's glory, to return back to the Father, he had to return back to the Father, being obedient to God's will. For Jesus says himself, and as we had said last Lord's Day, he says, if it is thy will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus did not want to suffer the cruelty of the the instrument of torture that we call the cross. That, one, that wasn't something that he desired to do, but it was something that he had to do if we were to be saved. And so he, 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 he uh, Hebrews even, uh, 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 in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 and also in some in verse 11, we would find where Paul writes to the Hebrews and Paul would say it was the strengthening by the Holy Spirit that allowed Jesus to take that body to the cross. So even Jesus needed to be strengthened by God in order to fulfill the obedience that must uh, be fulfilled in order for us to be saved. But as we return back to the garden, remember Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, Jesus recognized that having a subjective idea of how things uh, 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 that he, uh, if you will, desired to unfold in the way that he desired, he recognized that his will should not ever try to supersede God's will. And so we understand that, 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 that Jesus' belief in, and faith in God, if you will, was what, pro what pro uh, propelled him uh, to be able uh, to yield his own free will, his own free will to that of God because he ends his prayer 
and meditation with the Lord. And he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And so when we talk about this issue of maturity, the maturity of life, Jesus being a child that was of the age of 12, found by his mother and father uh, in the synagogue, reasoning uh, with the doctors and lawyers concerning those things, if you will, that were uh, of, of, of spirituality and faith and, and, and belief. And, 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 and they were amazed at the wisdom of this child, this child that sat before them to be able to reason, to contemplate, and to consider and to discern the ideas and the concepts of the word of God and to articulate it in such a way that they were amazed at his wisdom as a child, as a child, as a child. It is the interesting thing that we have here in the idea of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that Paul uses this phrase, and we'll go back to it uh, uh, later on as well, but in this phrase Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put all childish things away. Paul uses this context and he uses it in the context of the material man and the, and the idea of the growth of man as Peter would use it when Peter says, if you will, as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Peter used this context as well in the material sense, in the physical sense. It wasn't the first time that Paul would use the idea of the, of the, of the growth and maturity of the physical man. Paul also would use that same discussion in Hebrews chapter 5, which we have read many times when Paul talks about that, uh, if you will, that, that uh, at the time when we ought to be teachers, uh, we are still babes and we are still on milk as opposed to being on the meat and being able to discern the difference between good and evil or right and wrong. I wanted to come to that because you need to understand something about Paul's analogy. Paul is not limiting the growth of the spirit based on the material world. He's using the analogy so that we can understand that in order for the spirit to grow and to develop, the spirit, if you will, and to become that or move on to perfection, the spirit must grow. It must mature. But it doesn't mature and grow based on how man, the physical man, matures and grows. But it does mature and grow based on its, its obedience and, uh, if you will, and its adherence to God's word. In other words... You can have in the physical realm, and just using this as an analogy, you can have in the physical realm a 20-year-old that is more spiritually grown and developed and mature than somebody who is 60 years old. Amen, <laughs> hey man, when you can. You have people in the world who have gone to the age of 80, 90, some in the 100 years of age physically and know nothing about the spiritual word of God. Have not even contemplated it. But you have someone who's in their 20s or even, if you will, in their teens. Some of us obeyed the gospel when we were at our nine years of age. But, but give me in our adolescence. But it, it, when it comes to the idea of the inner man, the inner man does not grow as the natural man grows. The spiritual man grows differently. Its sustenance and maturity, its process of life is different than the, than the material man, the natural man. And Paul says, 
in his analogy, he gives this in 1 Corinthians 13, and, 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 and this is not by happenstance. The Spirit does nothing by happenstance, but what, the, what he does is he gives this analogy as it is couched in the midst of the difference between believing in the miraculous versus maturing in God's word. So let me help you with that just a little bit here. So we talk about self-awareness. The maturity of life. Paul says, now now remaineth faith, hope, charity, or love. He gives that in this text as he argues the idea of of what it means to mature spiritually. And and, and I hope that we can take away from this the, 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 the significance of this conversation. Because let me tell you something. There are people who are still living in a spiritual childlike state, wanting to experience things that God says don't exist any longer. There are those who, if you will, have, uh, have relegated their belief in God to, uh, to things that they have conjured up in their own minds as miraculous, as, as if you will, as miracles and, and as, as power of God being still demonstrated upon the face of the earth. And, and based on uh, uh, miraculous testimonies and all of these things, they, they then say, well, based on all of this, I can still believe in God. And God is saying those things have not existed since that which is perfect has come. And the interesting thing, that which is perfect that has come, James says, is the word of God. Since the word of God has been completed, that idea and the, and the, and the, the concepts of the miraculous passed away with the last individual who was given the power of some miraculous gift by the laying on of hands and, if you will, by the agreement of the Holy Spirit. When that last individual who was given such a gift passed away, that which was in the miraculous age passed with it. Only the apostles were given the power to confer a gift. And it was only, if you will, if the the Holy Spirit concurred with that gift being given. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, uh, uh, chapter 12. The Holy Spirit gave gifts severally as he will. The apostles were an instrument through whom the Holy Spirit worked to allow those gifts to be conferred. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes it very clear that this was a time of, if you will, of temporariness. It wasn't a time for, if you, it wasn't to be, if you will, forever. It wasn't to be forever and, 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 and everlasting where spiritual gifts and the age of the miraculous were to continue. But they were to end, and they were to end when that which is perfect is come. The covenant of God. The new covenant of God, the New Testament of God, that centerpiece of the various spiritual constructs that we've been speaking about, the ark, the tabernacle, the temple, the church. The covenant, if you will, becomes that which is perfect is come. And 
That which is perfect has come, as James says, looking into the perfect law of liberty, looking into the complete perfect law of liberty. And when we look into the complete perfect law of liberty, we can then, the inner man can then begin to understand what it means to mature spiritually. Because if God allows for the earth to turn and the sun to keep shining, and the moon to take its reflection upon the earth in the dark hours of night. On one side of the globe, it is dark. On the other side of the globe, the sun shines. But in either case, as God allows for the earth to continue to turn, this man, this creature that God has created in this fleshly form, if God allows us to wake up each morning, we will be one day older than we were the day before. Man will age. Physically. Man will always age physically. Because God has allowed that to occur in that once the Garden of Eden and the, and the gift of, 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 of immortality was, was returned back to God and man could no longer eat of the tree that gave him the sustainability of everlasting life. Once that was gone, man died, if you will, began to die physically, as Paul would say in Adam all died, man would die physically. And one day, when God decides for judgment day to come, man will also die spiritually. The question is, will we die in the Lord or will we die outside the Lord? One resurrection, Jesus says, is unto everlasting life. He's not talking about this physical body. The body goes back to the dust of the earth from which it came. But the resurrection unto life is about that spirit. Where does that inner man go? There's a resurrection unto life and there's a resurrection unto everlasting damnation. So with this body, this body goes back to the dust of the earth. But the spirit, that spirit will go back to, uh, will either go to, if you will, to heaven's glory or to damnation. But the, the, and that will depend upon what maturity of life. Did that spirit exist in at the time of the judgment, call of the judgment? Some of us may still, well, there's a possibility that some of us may still be alive when God calls judgment. Judgment can be right now. Judgment can be on tomorrow. But surely Jesus makes it very clear. No man knows, not even he himself. Jesus himself wasn't given that. When the father gets ready to judge the world in righteousness, then Jesus says he will be sent back for the church. And Peter makes it very clear. Judgment will begin first at the house of God. And it first begins with us, then where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Paul writes about the maturity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he couches it in a conversation that deals with the miraculous and that which becomes, if you will, uh, the perfection of the inner man by faith in God's word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to start reading from verse number 1. I hope you have your Bibles this morning, uh, whether it is in the, uh, the, uh, the, the paperback form or whether it's in digital form. Uh, uh, turn to your Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and we're going to start verse number 1. Paul says, in the miraculous sense, we know that this is the case, because he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I, I, it's important for us to understand that the, when this idea of speaking with the tongues of men uh, and, he says, with the tongues of angels, we have to understand angels is not a, a, a tongue of an angelic, some interesting uh, 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 heavenly uh, 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 wording or vocabulary. When he says he speaks to tongues of angels, he's talking about being a messenger, a messenger of God's word. And there were those who were messengers of God's word. John chapter 16 and verse number 13 said that the spirit will guide them into all truth. He was speaking specifically about the apostles. They would be guided into all truth. And therefore, the apostles became messengers to the church. They became the messengers to God. He speaks with the tongues of the angels, the messengers of God. Paul became an apostle, one born out of due season, but nevertheless, he was an apostle. There were the tongues of men because of Paul's background and his education. Paul spoke about the fact that he spoke many languages, more than all. Paul was giving, if you will, the material and the spiritual side of this conversation. And though I have, verse number two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and, and have not charity, I am nothing. Paul says, look, he says, all of these things that are miraculous, look at the power of them, the mystery of knowledge, the mystery of being able to move mountains and the power to, of prophecy to see not only then at the, the issues of that then known time, but to be prophetic in that he could see the things that were to come that had not yet happened. Paul speaks about all the power of the mystery, but then he couches it in something that all of us can obtain to, and that is, if I have not love, then what good is all of this power if I have not love? And then he makes the argument. He begins to go on. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. You see, we can feed the hungry. We can clothe the naked. We can house the homeless. We can do all of these, these material things. But there's something that must be encompassing of all of that, which goes beyond the physical act. Because the physical act should be a manifestation of the spiritual desire. And if the spiritual desire is not there, then the physical act is worthless. It has no value to God. And so he says, look, he says, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I, I, I give my body to be burned, and, and that's about sacrifice and suffering and, and in service to these things. And he says, and I have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Doesn't mean anything. Why is that so important? Because there are religious institutions that have associated themselves with being so religious and holy based on the material acts that they do. Newsflash. It means nothing if it's not based on the love of God and not your subjective idea of what God's love should be, but what God's word has instructed it to become. That's why he talks about the covenant, the faith. We know this to be the case because Matthew 7 and 21 makes it very clear. Remember, Matthew 7, 21 argues the point. Matthew says, look, he's, he, he makes it very clear that, that there were those who will come, if you will, in the, in the, in the latter day, and they would talk about how many uh, they cast out devils. They've done many wonderful works, and they've done all of these things. These are all the, the physical acts that they perform. And Jesus comes back and says, depart from me. 
But wait a minute, I've done all these things. I, I, I've done all these things. And in these things, in, my, in, in, in their minds, in those things, they're saying, we have sacrificed. We have suffered. And we've done all these things. And Jesus says, depart from me. Ye that worketh iniquity. For I never knew you. Lord have there's an absence, there's, there's something missing. When you are sacrificing and doing all kinds of things and you're thinking that you're doing it on behalf of God and when you stand before God, God says, depart from me. Ye that worketh iniquity, for I never knew you. But then he says, why? He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so Paul comes back with the idea of spiritual maturity and the spiritual idea of growth when he says, Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's not about you claiming to be in church and having a church. It's not about all of that. It's not about you being feeling like you're full of holiness and being pompous about the things that you believe that you have accomplished and the things that you have done. Because if it is not couched with the love of God, based on the covenant that God has prepared, Paul said, it profiteth me. It profiteth me nothing. In verse number four, he would go on and say, look, charity suffereth long. Charity is another wonderful word for love. But he says, charity suffereth long. Let me tell you something. <laughs> look, at, look, at, look, at, look at the blessing that Paul brings into this conversation. There's nothing miraculous about charity. That's something that you have to grow in. That spiritual man. That spiritual man has to, it, 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 the, the, the Holy Spirit does all, all, doesn't come upon you and miraculously make you love everybody. Amen. Amen. That's something that the inner man, that spiritual man has to grow to do. And let me tell you something, uh, love is something that is, a, it is, it is something that is worked on every day. Every day. We try to love each other a little bit better than we did the previous day. As a matter of fact, if I had time, I, I would deal with the aspects of love. I, that, that is not the core concept this morning, but, but I'll share something with you for those who, who wish to do some further study. There are several words that are in the Bible, uh, uh, if you will, that uh, describe the concepts of love. For they're in different contexts where, where love is expressed. And, 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 and in, in, the, in the Greek language, there are at least four uh, different words that deal with the issue of love. There's, there's, the, there's the eros love, which is the sexual concept of love. It gives us, in many cases, the idea of fornication and adultery and all the other things, the, the perversion, if you will, in those areas as well. But then there's the idea of storge love, where the parent has a love for their child, and, and, that, and that's a love that the Bible speaks about as well. And then there's brotherly love, the phileo love, the philia love, if you will, like, as we call it, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And, and then we have the, 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 the ultimate end and the, and, the, and the significance of perfection, which is the Agape love. And Hebrews chapter 6 says, we started this whole sermon series 
in Hebrews 6 and 1, the Bible says, let us go on to perfection. And when we're striving to go unto perfection, it's when we're striving to have that agape love. That inner man wants to have that agape love. Why? Because that agape love covers a multitude of sins. But that's in perfection. That's in perfection. Not imperfection. In perfection, we have that agape love. Which means that every one of us is still on a journey. Amen. Every one of us is still on a journey. We're going unto perfection, striving for, if you will, to, 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 to perfect God's will in our spiritual lives. And so we're going unto, we're maturing in life. And, and so as I, as, I, as, I, as I loop this in with Paul's uh, conversation, he says, look, you have to understand something. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaulteth not itself up. It is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Wait a minute. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the what? In the truth. What is love rejoicing in? In the truth. Well, what is truth, Brother Culpepper? Well, let us let God tell us what truth is. In John 17, 17, John writes to us and says, Sanctify them through thy truth, in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Love rejoices in knowing and believing and practicing and teaching the truth. When Paul says to the church at Ephesus, which was, has been completely perverted by the world and by those who would go into apostasy. When he says, speaking the truth in love, it has nothing to do with perverting the word of God and saying, you need to love me anyhow. That's not what it means. When we're speaking the truth in love, we're going on to perfection, meaning that I should be able to speak to my brother and to my sister and I should be able to speak to them in a context where it is coming from a source of God, a source of love, and that is how it is being received. It is not being perverted, but it's being spoken. And let me tell you something. The wonderful thing about truth is the truth can be said even and, and received even when uh, uh, it hurts. Amen. Now, I know that some of us are still growing in that area, but, but remember when the scholars among the Jews came to Jesus, and, and believe me, they, didn't, they weren't coming to him to, to become educated. That's one of their biggest problems. You, you can't fill a glass that's always, already full. They weren't coming to him to be edified. They were coming to him to try to find a way to entrap him. But nevertheless, the question was still relevant to Christ. Many times we see and hear Jesus speaking to those who have come to him with a question. He's not speaking to them directly. He's speaking to those who are around him. Those whose glasses are not full. Who are still willing to receive what it is that needs to be said. Nevertheless, they came to Jesus, the scholars, the doctors, and the lawyers, they came to Jesus, they said, he said, what is the greatest commandment? 
faith. As they challenged Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not knowing that he to whom they were speaking was the one who wrote them. Oh, you would have asked me what commandment I gave you, <laughs> right? But if you don't believe that he's the Christ, then in your own ignorance, you think that you're, you're more wiser than he who you stand in front of. So what is the greatest command? If you be Christ, if you, if you be the son of God, what, this is, this is the, 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 the tone in which it was being delivered. And what is the greatest commandment? And, and, and then he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And not only love him, not only some abstract of love, not some subjective idea of love, but thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Lord have mercy. I know when he started talking, they said, well, you shouldn't have asked that question. Shouldn't have asked that. But, but look, and while you're asking, give you something that you can try to get your mind around. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Can you handle that one? Because you're still struggling with the God part. Amen. But let me see if you can deal with your neighbor because see, you see your neighbor every day. Amen. You know, God the Father you have not seen but you see your neighbor every day. And so he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. James would challenge us, and so would Paul in Hebrews, but John would also challenge us, and John would say to us, look, he says, look, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you see every day? You see, this love is about going unto perfection. And each of us in, all, in, in, our, in our spiritual journey of this inner man, we, 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 we gather the, the, the word of God in our lives. And, and as our faith grows, our self-awareness of where we are in our maturity of life becomes more transparent. Or even, maybe even a better word would be more apparent. It becomes more obvious to us where we are in our lives as we study God's word and we continue to seek his wisdom so that we are not being ignorant, but coming into an understanding of his will uh, of what the will of the Lord is. We become more self-aware. And that's why Paul says, Paul, I'll, I'll go on here so I can get to this point. And so he says, so he says, look, rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Verse number seven, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Look what he says. Charity never faileth. Charity is not something that is miraculous. And he says that that which is not miraculous is that which we should seek most. Because it is the most powerful. And that is love. To seek charity. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, see, where there is the miraculous, right, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, 
they shall cease. And, 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 and I don't have time to deal with the glossa and the static language of speaking in tongues. For the word tongues here is not talking about some angelic tongue. It's not talking about speaking some language that only heaven knows. It's talking about a language that is upon the face of the earth that some uh, uh, ethnic group knows, that, that some tribe knows, that some individual human being speaks on the face of the earth. But the blessing of it is, or the miraculous nature of it is, is that you don't know it. But the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak it or to comprehend it so that you can interpret it. That is where the miraculous nature is. It is not the tongue itself. But we have the world wanting, oh, I'm speaking to God, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I'm speaking to God and uh, angels. And that's not, it doesn't communicate anything to anybody. As a matter of fact, God was all in, in God. You're never going to outthink God. God said, let me tell you something how to handle this stuff. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, and I said I'm not going to dwell on this, and I'm not. i got to move on, but i got to make this clear. <laughs> God says, look, when, 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 when somebody is speaking in an unknown tongue, and I love that because they immediately grab the italicized word that the King James Version put in there for the purpose of letting you know that the tongue that was being spoken was the tongue that was not known by the person who was speaking it. It wasn't that the tongue was not known upon the face of the earth. It was that the person who was speaking it did not know it. You know, they didn't go to Spanish class. You know, they didn't go to uh, 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 conversational Spanish. They learned how to speak Spanish. That's not, they, they were given the language and the understanding of it and the speaking of it. It was through the miraculous in, uh, uh, gifting of the Holy Spirit in the unknown. Unknown in the King James 1611 is italicized. And it's unknown because the person who is speaking it does not have the, uh, the ethnic background to know it does not have that training and experience the Holy Spirit gave it to that person so when he that speaketh if you speak in an unknown tongue 1 Corinthians 14 I'm back there now if there be no interpreter shut up sit down I don't have time. That's not the purpose. It was setting the, the, the miraculous and putting it against that which was natural. Paul says, and even in that text, Paul says, look, I, 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 I would rather speak, 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 speak one word that I can understand. This is the interesting thing. And Lord, Lord, have mercy. I'm trying to pull away from it. I'm trying. I'm trying to pull out of it. But notice that Paul. Paul is an apostle, you all. Paul has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's been given all these gifts. Paul was one, except comparing him to Christ himself. We didn't see any of the other apostles raising somebody from the dead. But Paul did. Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake and did not die. Shook him off in the fire. You don't see that happening to any of the other apostles. 
But look at Paul demonstrating how the Holy Spirit and the miraculous gifts that Paul was given. But look what Paul says. Look, Paul says in that 1 Corinthians 14 text, he says, I would rather speak one word that I have an understanding. Even Paul saying, when I'm given the gift of speaking in the tongue that I don't know, that I don't know. In other words, Paul's letting you know that the strength of our faith is not in the miraculous. The strength of our faith is, is, is in understanding God's word. And that's why Romans 10 and 17 is so powerful. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If, I, if, 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 if we as a people, as a church, can just continue to embrace God's word and, and grow in the nurture and the admonition of God's word, we can be a better people without any gifts. Without any gift, because all the gifts were temporal anyway. But the hard part of being a child of God is understanding the will of God and then doing the will of God. And that doing not coming from a selfish source, but coming from a spiritual source of love. Are y'all with me this morning? And so this is the maturity of the spiritual life. And this is the self-awareness, right? And let me get to this. Because see, when Paul starts speaking uh, uh, if you will, uh, 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 charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, and whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, when the word of God is before you, then that which is in part shall be done away. Romans, uh, uh, Romans, James chapter 1 and verse Number 25, somewhere thereabouts, if my memory serves me correctly, James 1 and 25 says, we look into the perfect law of liberty, the complete law of liberty, which was given to the apostles. And Paul says, now that we've spoken it and wrote it, you need to read it so that you can understand it. And that's how we grow and mature in God's word. And that is how we are strengthened in God's word. And that's why the strength of God's word is not based on your physical age. It's based on your spiritual maturity and your commitment to God's word. And that's where the challenge is. And, 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 but, but see, only God, only God can put that wisdom in place. That he says the maturity of a nation I don't know why the light came on, but it came on. It came on at a good point. It, it, you know, like the light bulb comes on, you know. Came on at a perfect point. But only God can say to a generation. And now, now don't miss this, because only God can say to the generation. And this comes back to, uh, to, uh, Josiah, the young king in Chronicles and in Kings, where he began to rule at a very young age as a boy. And Josiah comes across the book, the covenant of God that was lost 
And an interesting is, thing is, it wasn't lost outside the house of God. They found the book in the house. Lord have mercy. They found the book in the house. The problem was nobody was reading it. No one was applying it. Amen. And so the priests came before Josiah and they said to Josiah, we found the book of the Lord that was lost in the house. Lord have mercy. And they opened up the book and and they began to read and Josiah rent his clothes and said, we have not done the things that God has said in this book. Mm, 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 mm. Young man, young king, He's being surrounded by those who were of physical age. But the young king who looked into the perfect law of liberty, looked into the word of God, said, you know what? We have not done what is in this book. The the power of God's word is that every generation is accountable to itself. And when you come into the knowledge of God's word and you see God's word and you look around and you look circumspectly and you see that what God has said in this book has not been done as God has said it, you are now accountable to do God's will based on what God's word has said. You know why? Because generations come, generations go. Some people will remain faithful, some people will fall away. It is up to each and every individual to mature in God's word. And it comes by us reading it and building up our faith in what God has said. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. Now, I'm going to end here because... Because this is a this is this 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 gives me time to 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 unfold the the ideas of hope and give it its due time and also the idea of uh, of, uh, of charity and love and give it its due time. But right now, as we as we as we as we conclude with the discussion about faith and awareness in our faith, look what Paul says here. Now, Paul couches this in the miraculous. He says that. He's, he's, he's speaking, he says, but when, but, but when that which is perfect is come. And I want you to see here how this is phrased by the Holy Spirit. He says, but when, when is an adverb of time. When that which is perfect is come, right? It says that something's going to happen at some point in time. And when that which is perfect is come, it becomes now, the completion. Because you can't get beyond perfect. When you're perfect, you're perfect. There's nothing else after perfect. So when we got when we get that which is perfect, and, and when James says, and we're gonna go over to James 1 in a minute, but, but but when you look at James and, and he talks about that what is perfection, but he says, Look, he says, but when that which is perfect is come, which gives you two understandings. Number one, that there is not perfection yet. Are y'all with me? But it's coming. Right? But it's coming. 
So that tells you that it wasn't Christ that James is, that, 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 that Paul is speaking about right here. Because a lot of people say, oh, this is talking about Christ. It's not talking about Christ. Because Christ has already come. Amen. Christ has already come. Christ has already gone back to heaven's glory. But he says, when that which is perfect has come. And, and, and so we, we get the first understanding, which is that perfection has, uh, 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 has not occurred at this moment. And then he says, and then he says uh, 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 since, since it is speaking about perfection coming, that means that anything prior to perfection is imperfect. I'll say it again. Since perfection had not yet come, number one. That means anything prior to perfection is imperfect. Number two, even the miraculous, y'all stay with me now. I'm closing. I know you want me to close. I'm closing. <laughs> even now, in, 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 in the miraculous at this time, in that time, when I say now, I mean now at that time, when even in the miraculous, Paul called prophecy, speaking in tongues, laying on of hands, all this stuff, imperfect. It was imperfect. But yet it was divine. But he still called it imperfect. Are you with me? Now since Paul, this is the third point I'm going to make. Since Paul called that which was divine, imperfect. Because perfection had not yet occurred. That which it was to become. Had not yet occurred. It was anything prior to perfection was imperfect. And now thirdly, you have Paul calling the divine imperfect. So if the divine, here it is, is imperfect at that time. Anything and everything that was secular had to be imperfect. So if you are living secular lives in this text, you're living imperfect lives. And even if you want to try to live a quasi-religious life, thinking about miraculous things as if they still existed, you're living an imperfect life. Lord have mercy. Paul says to move on to perfection, to show maturity, what you have to do is to transition. Not only transition from a life of carnality, which is the material life, the material man, loving the things that are of the world, as 1 John 2.15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that's in the world is lust the eyes and bright of life. Even that being imperfect, he says, even if you try to misconstrue the word of God, You're still imperfect. And in either of those cases, you are not moving toward perfection. The only time you can move unto perfection is when you come into the perfect law of liberty. You have to come into the covenant. You have to become aware. You have to become aware. As I go to James chapter 1 and I close. You have to become aware. Of your disposition in the world. 
James says that we look into the perfect law of liberty. In James 1 and 25. But prior to getting to that, in verse number 19, well, I'll start at verse number 18. In verse number 18, he says in James 1 and 18, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. Lord have mercy. He begot us with the word of truth. Not, not with the Holy Spirit miraculously taking over the free will of man did not beget us. We were begotten with the word of truth. That's why Paul tells, if you will, uh, teach, uh, uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, when he tells Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He's letting them know, Timothy, if you're going to begat people, if you're going to persuade people knowing the terror of the Lord, Timothy, you can't do with all these bells and whistles and all these false things. You've got to preach the word. The truth of God's word, you have to let people know. It's not their physical bodies that you're trying to save. It's their soul. And their soul can only be saved. By its obedience to God's word. Because that, that, that spirit, that soul will struggle with that body until the, end of, until the end of its physical life. You're going to be struggling with this body. Because Paul lets us know that in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 when he says, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. In other words, Paul says, look, until God calls me home to glory, I'm going to have to fight this flesh. It has its own law. It's not, it does not adhere to the law of God. But my spirit adheres to the law of God. And that's why Paul says in Romans 7 and 8, he says, look, he says, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? I thank God. With my inner man, I serve the Lord. Let me close. So he goes on and says, of his own will begot he us. I know you guys are saying, Brother Cole, but it's kind of deep for the second Sunday in the new year. Well, I'm trying to start us off on a good foot. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your body. Mm. The engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. You see, the faith of God's word is about saving souls. The engrafted word is that which is engrafted, engraved on that spiritual heart of man. And that's why baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Because the truth has been spoken. And that spirit has said, you know what? I don't want to live in imperfection. I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to live in some quasi idea of religious holiness. In mysticism and magic. But what I want to live in, I want to live in knowing the truth of God's word. I don't want to be ignorant of what God's will is. I'm going to study his word and I'm going to apply it so that I can be found worthy of God. Let me finish. And so he goes on and says, wherefore lay apart our filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, of, uh, a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That natural face deals with the physical. Beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man that he is. Physical, if you will, the changes of physical life from one age to another age. You may have looked in the glass and you saw yourself at one time at eight years old, but now you're 80 years old. And with all that time that has passed, you still have not changed looking at your face in a glass. But what you need to do is to look into the word of God. And see what manner of man that you are. For he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway for, uh, forgetteth what manner of, of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, Lord have mercy. You see, you can, you can, you can look into a mirror and one day, y'all you, you, know how it is, you know, you looked in one, one day when, when you were young, you looked into the mirror and, and, you, and you didn't have any, any, any gray hair. Amen. Now you look into the mirror, gray, gray hairs on the counter. You don't even have to look in the mirror. Amen. Gray hair all over the place. <laughs> you can age physically, but aging physically is not, is not evidence of aging spiritually. It just means you're getting old. The body is decaying. But when one beholds himself and looketh at himself in the Word of God, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Notice what he says. Not only, not only looking, and, and, and the word here, looketh, and, and I've spoken about it many times, but maybe perhaps you have not, you don't recall it, but, but the word looketh here comes from a wonderful Greek word, and that Greek word means to stoop down and to stay long. When you're looking into the Word of God, it is a study. It is a study not just for uh, enjoyment, but it is a study for, uh, for maturity and change. So we look into the perfect law of liberty. We see what manner of person that we are. And seeing what manner of person that we are, he said, we, and, and then, then look, and when you see that, he says, continue therein. Don't turn away. Don't turn away from who you see yourself as in the word of God. Because that gives you, if you will, the information you need to change. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The maturity of life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse number 10, he says, when I was a, I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I, I put all childish things away. In our spiritual journey, in our spiritual journey, we may have, we, 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 we all rather came into the word of God, into the body of Christ as, as, as babes. Peter says so. Paul says so. The Holy Spirit says so. 
We came into the we came into the body as babes, but 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 there's a there's a necessity that that if we want to mature in life, it is it is our commitment and our continual application of God's word to our child I spake as a child I understood as a child but when I became a man I put all childish things away the miraculous was ended Paul knew it was ended and then what would remain is God's word and that which is perfect is come is God's word and Paul says well, you're going to have to get to the point where you recognize and realize that these miraculous gifts will not be here forever as a matter of fact the only reason I wish I had time to get to Hebrews 2 and 4 and 4 and 2 So God's word is there for you now to study it and to apply it and for you to mature and you to become knowledgeable so that you are not ignorant of the will of God so that God's will will be superseding your will. So Romans 10 and 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Matthew 6 and 33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God lets us know that he understands what our material needs are, but the more important thing about our life and existence is the spiritual side. And so we confess, we repent of our sins rather. Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you nay, except you repent. You acknowledge where you are imperfect. And guess what? We all imperfect. Because we're all striving unto perfection. So we acknowledge our sin. Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 17 and 30, God commandeth every man everywhere to repent. We ask Peter in Acts 2 and verse 37, Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. Romans 10 and 9, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with mouth confession is made unto salvation. We confess Christ. Christ is the only perfect of God's creation that walked upon the face of the earth. Christ is the only one that was perfect. And so we are in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, his blood covers us to give us the opportunity to become perfect. Christ died the sin for the sins of the world, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 19, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, righteousness of God in Christ. And so we confess Christ to be the son of God. We go down in the water of baptism because that is where the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our past sins. You see, God covers us with the blood of Christ. And as God looks upon us, he sees the blood of Christ. And when he sees the blood of Christ, he sees the image of perfection. Because he sees the blood of Christ. And underneath that blood, it's us striving to be worthy of what Christ has already done. Striving to be worthy. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service under the blood. We are striving to be worthy of what Christ has already done. So God doesn't look on us 
he looks upon the blood. He sees Christ. He sees perfection. He sees the love that Christ has for the world, that God has for the world. And I pray that as we continue to strive to be to be to be uh, to be mature in Christ Jesus, to 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 develop and to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, on the Word of God, that one day when we stand before God, we can be worthy of the blood that covers us. We can be worthy of it. And I pray right now that you've heard His Word. And I pray that right now you're ready to come and to give your life to God before it's everlasting and eternally too late. For one thing is for sure. We don't know where death is. But if we die in our sins, where he is, we cannot come. Will you come right now as we stand and sing the invitational song? Why don't you come? 903. 903. Would you be free from the burdens of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you away victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing, the Calvary's tie. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the land. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the prayer. Just blood of the land. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. morning. Amen. 